Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Supercluster Podcast. We have a very special episode today, and we're joined by Patrick Troithart. He's the assistant head of astronomy and astrophysics research lab at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. We're also joined by Jamie Carrero, a colleague of ours from Supercluster and one of our creative leads. Hey, Jamie. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Glad to have you back in the studio. Just kidding. We're not in the studio. We are all calling in remotely because we have to acknowledge that our nation is on mostly lockdown. And Patrick, we really appreciate your time. And Jamie, thank you for calling in today. And I know you've done some cool podcasts for us before, and we're sort of collaborating on this one. And Patrick, we're having you on the episode today because you have been heading up this really amazing citizen science project. And April happens to be Citizen Science Month. Couldn't have been a better time because many people are home and they are looking for activities for students, college students, and just about any space nerd or space fan is out there could really get their you know claws into something really fun at home and kind of productive and, and something that helps a big cause. So Patrick, why don't you tell us what this project is and what, and what you've been working on? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. This is this is really great. We appreciate you. The project is called Spiral Graph, and what it is, it's a online citizen science project devoted to tracing out the spiral structure seen in galaxies in order to measure how tightly wound the arms are. And wow. the goal is that spiral structure seems to be related to a lot of parameters that are harder to measure in galaxies. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is measure the spiral structure in these galaxies in order to determine things that are harder to measure on their own, that take a lot more time, things like that. So for instance, like the amount of dark matter that a galaxy has or the mass of the supermassive black hole that sits in the nucleus of every galaxy. Now, you define this project as a citizen science project. Could you tell our audience what that means? Yeah, so citizen science is basically community science. It's it's getting people involved in real research projects, even though they're not professional scientists. It's just people who have an interest and who are willing to participate and, and collect real data or help analyze real data. So really, anybody can be a citizen scientist as long as you know, you're interested. And how do people get involved with these kinds of projects? Well, for instance, like my project, it's developed on this platform called Zooniverse. And Zooniverse is just a giant repository of all kinds of different online citizen science projects. So not just astronomy or space related things, but also, you know, history, biology, you know, things, things like that. So there, there, it has a ton of different projects on there. So if you're interested in, you know, transcribing things from text, you know, there are some history projects that could use that. Right. But it's also, is, it's also cross-hosted by SciStarter.org as well, so you can find it on there as well. The issue that we're all looking at here is there's a lot of data. Yes. It's like all these experiments and all these projects from telescopes to you know, gravitational wave detectors to all these kinds of things, there's always so much math and data. And I think there's been a lot of, you know, especially in the last few years, a lot of chat about using machine learning. And machine learning has been successful. But not in this case, right? Yeah, it's it has problems. So when you look at a lot of the projects on, for instance, like Zooniverse, a lot of it is just kind of pattern recognition in some form. So you know, it's, you're looking at an image and you're trying to decipher what the image is telling you, and then translating it so that way it could be interpreted, you know, through statistics or whatever. And you know, just like 
just like any of these like captchas that you see on websites, right? It's it's kind of like an interpretive image that apparently you know bots can't interpret really well. And whereas humans can see that easily and, and type in the code that you see, and then you you know gain access to whatever site you're looking at. And it's it's similar, especially with the spiral structure in these galaxies. It's a similar kind of thing because when you when you look at the images of these galaxies, I mean they're not they're not the greatest images in that they're not super deep or really high resolution. When when you look at some of these images, you just kind of get a sense of you know what the spiral structure looks like, and it's not really well defined. I mean you you can see where the spiral arms are and you can see the regions between spiral arms, but if a computer were to look at it, the difference in brightness between you know, the centermost, brightest part of the arms and the interarm regions is the difference between those, the light levels there are, are pretty close. And so, for instance, some some automated routines actually have a hard time distinguishing between the two. I'm going to throw this over to Jamie because Jamie has many years experience working with visuals and, and some of the things you're talking about here. He looks at almost every space image and video that we, we oversee at Supercluster together. So, Jamie, what what is your take on this? Well, for me, the thing that was really interesting about this project is that not only is it something that people can get involved in and and really make a real contribution to, but it sounds like it's something that you need people for, that it's almost not really possible to do in an automated way. So the the human factor, the human eye and brain is the most powerful computer in this case. Is is that a, a correct evaluation? Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, so far, we really need people to do it. I mean, one of the goals of the project is to hopefully collect enough data because, you know, as these people trace out the arms, we're collecting basically statistical data on, on all of these images where hopefully in the future, what we can do is develop a good machine learning algorithm from all this data we collected that where we can just plug in an, an image and maybe the machine learning program can actually find the arms at that point. But we're, we're not at that point yet. Right. So the same data set that you're developing through this could eventually be used to perhaps train an algorithm. Yeah, we're, we're hoping that, that it can be done that way as well, but we'll see. Uh, you think machines will evolve to be able to catch up to, you know, the human artistic mind and kind of decipher some of these things? When I look at spiral galaxies personally, I'm a space fan, yeah. but you're right. I don't exactly know what I'm looking at. And the image is usually not clear. And even the images that do look sharp, those are color and a color coded and color enhanced, right, Jamie? Yeah, frequently they are, or they're being pulled from a non-visible spectrum of light into something that people can see. Right. So it's sort of right. like mapping, you know, one range of wavelengths onto another one. Patrick, and just if we could explain, you know, to folks who we want to get behind this project and folks who are at home right now, what are we trying to learn about galaxies? What are what are our top two or three things? that we are yet to fully understand about them, especially the one we live in? Well, so, I mean, the, the overall goal is to really kind of understand how galaxies evolve. So shortly after the very beginning, you know, after the Big Bang, we, we start to see like the first stars being formed and we see the first galaxies being formed at the same time. And the weird thing is, is we don't really understand, we're getting ideas of how these galaxies actually form and how they form so quickly but we're not entirely sure. The parameters in these galaxies, so for instance, like the mass of the supermassive black hole that we find in the nuclei, these things, it's not understood how, how these galaxies can have supermassive black holes in, in these nuclei, basically at, you know, th that are formed so quickly along with the galaxy. 
So it's, it's not well understood how, for instance, supermassive black holes evolve so quickly in these galaxies as well. Do they, and, I mean, in, the, in, in relative time, they kind of just appear at the same time? Like, do these black holes form relatively early on in the galaxy's formation? Yeah, it seems to be that they form, in the cosmological context, they seem to form at pretty much the same time. The galaxy and the black hole both evolved together in, in some way, and it's not, it's not understood how that happens. If there's a supermassive black hole in the center of a galaxy, what is, I suppose, the sphere of influence of that black hole? Is the whole galaxy very slowly collapsing into the middle, or what is, it, what is its effect? Yeah, that, that supermassive black hole, it has almost no direct effect on the overall galaxy, because the, even, even though the supermassive black hole, which, so the, these supermassive black holes, they range from millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. But when you look at the overall size of a galaxy, I mean, like for instance, our own galaxy is between one and 200,000 light years across. The galaxy's enormous. The actual sphere of influence of our own supermassive black hole, which is, you know, a few, a few million times the mass of the sun, it, it's almost nothing. It shouldn't, it shouldn't affect the, the overall spiral structure directly. But what we do see is that there is a connection between the mass of the supermassive black hole and in disk galaxies, for instance, in, in galaxies like our own Milky Way, there's a, there's a bulge in the center of this galaxy where the, the black hole is in the center of that. And it's, there's a direct relationship between the mass of the supermassive black hole and the size of the bulge. And the bulge seems to influence, the size of the bulge seems to influence the overall spiral structure of the galaxy. So it's really a ladder, a ladder of things that you know, progressively move further outward. You know, and, and not to get super basic here, but it always blows my mind the correlation between the size of a galaxy and how many there are. Yeah. Now, Patrick, since I have you on the podcast, I always ask astronomers and, you know, and people who study this stuff the same question. How many galaxies are there? Oh, man. So there are basically 10 times as many galaxies as there are stars within our own galaxy. And so we estimate there are about three, I think it's three trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's too much. It's too much. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it's, it. It's um, an inconceivably large number of inconceivably yeah. large things. Yeah. 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 Okay. And since we have Patrick on the podcast, I don't think, Jamie, we've never done this. Patrick, can you explain to our listeners what a supercluster is? Oh, man. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Well, so I guess, I guess it depends on which context. So you do have like clusters of stars and you have clusters of galaxies. So I work with galaxies, so I'm going right. to defer to that. Yes. But yeah, when you, when, you talk about, when you talk about a supercluster, it's basically a cluster of clusters. You can have what we call a group of galaxies, which the Milky Way is a part of. There's something called the local group. And then you can also have a cluster of galaxies, which is larger than like one of these groups. So it's just a, you know, a large number of galaxies that are all bound together by gravity. And then you can have what's called a supercluster, which is clusters of galaxies that are all bound together by gravity. Amazing. Yeah. I think there was a paper a couple of years ago I reported on. It was about globular superclusters. And the paper was about how looking for alien life in the direction of globular superclusters would be, there would be more of a chance because of the amount of exoplanets. I don't know what the math was, but that was the first mm -hmm. time I learned the word. 
a few years ago. Yeah. And now we are obviously doing this project. But thank you for explaining it. Yeah, no problem. That was the very first time on the podcast that we, and I'm sure some of the listeners have Googled it. A lot of our uh, listeners are already space fans, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad we have that on the record now. So thank you, (laughs) Yes, the official Um, version. (laughs) I I think early on on we talked about it as the largest thing that can be described without describing the whole universe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I want to move on to dark matter, mainly because this is another thing that is mind-blowing to me and something I don't fully have a grasp on, and that's why I'm lucky in a position I can have Patrick here. You can help us explain to us what dark matter is and how does it relate to us looking at these these galaxy spirals. So dark matter, that, that's a good question. Like, what is it? And right. the thing is, is we, we have no idea. I mean, we, so I we, don't feel, we. I don't feel bad anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I was living a very lonely life, not knowing right. what dark matter was. But yes, I'm glad to hear that, and I'm sure many yeah. of our listeners are too. Yeah. So, I mean, so what we basically what we do know about it is that it is something that has mass, so it has gravity, but we can't detect it in any way through through any of the four fundamental forces other than gravity and and maybe the weak nuclear force. So there are four fundamental forces. There's the electromagnetic, there's the strong nuclear, the weak nuclear, and the gravitational force. And so we do detect it through the gravitational force. We don't see it in the electromagnetic spectrum, so that's why it's dark. So it doesn't glow, it doesn't heat up in any way that we can see, and, and it doesn't interact through the strong nuclear force. But we think that maybe it interacts through the weak nuclear force. So maybe it's some kind of exotic particle that is weakly interacting with other particles. So they're basically, they're, they're almost like ghost particles. So for instance, if, if you're aware of neutrinos, neutrinos are, you know, nearly massless particles that move at high velocities and are produced in fusion reactions. So the sun produces, you know, billions of neutrinos, you know, every second, and they radiate outwards from the center of the sun and they pass through the earth, they pass through you and me but they barely interact. They, they rarely interact with anything. But we can detect them in that we, we have these giant vats of specialized water you know, in mountains where we look for flashes of light where a neutrino will interact with a particle and then you know, create some daughter particles and that creates a flash of light. And so we can detect them that way. But for instance, dark matter is, is not any particle that we know of yet. And we suspect it may be, you know, there are a few different probable particles that that dark matter could be composed of, but we're still not sure. We haven't really detected them and we're really not sure what it is. And so the issue is, is that if dark matter does not interact with the weak nuclear force, if it's not some kind of exotic particle like that, and if it doesn't interact with the weak nuclear force, the issue is, is that we'll probably never know what dark matter is. If it only interacts through gravitation, the chances of us actually knowing what it is is probably almost zero. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's a lot. If it is interacting with the weak force and you're seeing these particles, these subatomic particles being ejected, does that mean that the dark matter is decaying? Is that, is that what's hap- what would be happening in that case? Well, I'm not sure. Particle? Yeah. I mean, the, the details of it, I, I don't really know because I work on larger scales, but it's my understanding that, the, that these particles, they interact with each other. And that they really don't interact with other particles, and some somehow they interact with each other. They're they're, I believe they're they're not charged particles, so they're uncharged particles that really only interact with each other, and only very rarely. So you know when you when you look at these things on larger scales, I mean there, there's something called the bullet cluster, for instance, where you can see 
basically two clumps of dark matter that have passed through each other with normal matter kind of that, that was in the center of these giant clumps of dark matter. And what you see is that as these two basically massive objects have passed through each other, the normal matter collided and interacted with each other. So you see like a shock wave, you see a shock front from the normal matter colliding with each other. But the giant clouds of dark matter just pass right through each other without even interacting at all. So if, if dark matter is composed of these particles, one example of what people are looking at is something called axions. And if it is composed of these particles, then again, they're, they're even, even with themselves, they weakly interact with each other. And so that you, you basically don't see any kind of noticeable change in, in, in dark matter on large scales. It's mind-blowing. How, how does this connect to the project? So there, there are a series of relationships that people have discovered between the winding of spiral arms in galaxies and you know different different parameters that are harder to measure. So one of them is actually dark matter. And there, there seems to be a relationship between how tightly wound the arms are. So the more tightly wound the arms are in a spiral galaxy, the larger the amount of dark matter that the galaxy hosts. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that's an interesting extremely science. It sounds so science fiction. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. The amount of unknowns with this thing that we're, you know, and, and I know that the chances are, are grim of ever learning what the true nature of it, but pursuing it, it sounds like a cool adventure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's super now, cool to think of these spirals, these these patterns that seem to be just, a, you know, this sort of broad scale phenomena actually turning out to be these information filled fingerprints for galaxies. Right. And they, they carry so much understanding in them. Yeah, that's that's what I actually love about it. So so what I study is galaxy morphology and, and dynamics. So so really, I, I try to understand the shapes of galaxies, and I'm especially interested in spirals. That's what I really find intriguing is that you can look at some really obvious, simple characteristics, and it can actually tell you a lot about what's going on in that galaxy that's that's you know almost invisible. Now, Patrick, I want to wrap up this podcast with two things. And first, let's try and get some some of our listeners to try this project out. What are the basic things that can get them started, or even to like which website to go to, or who to contact? Like, what are ways people can get engaged in this project? Well, the project itself, the website, well, the easiest way to get to the website is if you go to scistarter.org slash spiral dash graph. There's, you know, just some basic information about the project, and there's a link that will take you to the Zooniverse page where the project actually sits. But the scistarter.org page is, is actually a, the, a good website to, to start off at because it just gives you a very basic overview of what's going on. But yeah, but the best way to get started is just kind of, you know, read the tutorials a little bit. You know, as, as soon as you log in, like a tutorial will pop up and it'll, it'll just give you a broad overview of, of what you're going to be doing. And, and really, there are two main tasks in this project. One is identifying that the galaxy in question actually is a spiral galaxy. And so what, what my team and I have done, we've actually pulled down, you know, out of a catalog, we've pulled out what we what we assume to be all spiral galaxies. So they've all been previously classified as spiral galaxies, but what we have noticed is that a few of them actually aren't spiral galaxies or they've been misclassified in some way. And so really the first, the first step is to just confirm that what you're looking at is actually a spiral galaxy. Because if it's not, then, then basically we don't want to use that data, whatever you're going to do. Right, it. right. That's not useful data for this project. Right, yeah. And so I would say you know 95% of what you're going to look at is going to be a spiral galaxy. And so once you confirm it's a spiral galaxy, the next thing we do is we just have you point to point, just trace out a spiral arm on the galaxy. And once you're done with one arm, then you just trace out another one that you can see and just 
you know, as as confident as you feel about a spiral arm, you just trace out what you see, and then you just click done, and it submits it to uh, to our repository. Right now, what we do is we have 15 different people look at the same galaxy and determine where the spiral arms are, and and again, if it is or isn't a spiral galaxy. So what we do is we aggregate all that data, and then we from that we kind of get an average of where people think the spiral arms are, and then what we do is we take that aggregated spiral structure that people have traced and we we plug that into a program that we've written and then we measure how tightly wound the arms are from there. Okay, we have instructions on how to get started on this immediately or you know at least check out the website and, and the tutorial. But Jamie, we're all going to be partnering with Patrick to sort of move or have a landing page on Supercluster where we can have some of our readers and listeners moving over to Patrick's project and you know trying to get involved in some way. So Jamie, what are some things that we're going to be doing? Well, I mean, we're going to set it, and I guess this is kind of aside from the podcast record at this point, but we're, um, yeah, we're setting it up kind of as like a mini campaign. Patrick, we've discussed, you know, the full list of deliverables with you, but the way we're going to roll it out is essentially not all at once, but piece by piece so that we can get something out there early, get people involved. And then one of the content pieces we wanted to make a little farther down the road is a mini documentary, just introducing you and your team and giving people a piece of video content that explains something about the project. So that's Correct. probably the next piece that we'd want to try and figure out how to produce remotely, given all yeah. of our current uh, unusual right. situation. But it would be something similar to this. We just have a video component as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously there is a visual, big visual aspect to this project. And I think we'll probably include some of that art with this podcast if we can. But Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, the three of us have continued work to do on this project and getting it out there to you know some more space fans patrick you've had success but we want to you know get some of our supercluster fans involved in your project and we're really stoked for that so thank you for your involvement yeah thanks a lot you've been doing this project for a little while now but what's your dream goal for this project well ultimately actually my dream goal for this is what one thing we're looking for is a specific class of black hole called intermediate mass these are actually very rare objects. There are maybe a dozen candidates and maybe two or three confirmed. And what these are, these are black holes that haven't, that have somehow evolved into like very massive black holes. So they range from, you know, tens of thousands or a hundred thousand solar masses to a million solar masses. So somehow they've evolved to this point, but they've, they haven't reached the supermassive stage. They haven't actually become supermassive black holes. And this is what we, mm-hmm. and these supermassive black holes are what we commonly find in the in the nuclei of galaxies. And so if we can find even, even a handful of intermediate mass black hole candidates, and then we're able to confirm it independently using telescope observations, and we basically double the sample size of intermediate mass black holes that have ever been observed. And hopefully from that, we can understand the environment that these intermediate mass black holes are living in and what makes that different in those galaxies compared to every other galaxy we look at. And that can then tell us maybe something about the evolution of galaxies and why the black holes stopped at the intermediate mass range rather than reaching the supermassive range and what what the what the gal- what happened to the galaxy where that stopped. I think that could be, actually be really important for understanding galaxy evolution. Right. I think that sounds like a bona fide treasure hunt for anyone who wants it. So, yeah. you know, if you're listening, give the tutorial a read. You know, you want to be prepared if you're going to engage yourself in a citizen science science project. And if you want to be a citizen scientist yourself, I think it's a great thing for 
encouraging students and, and even adults to do. It's productive and it helps a great cause. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll all be working together on this project. You'll be hearing about it again. And we thank you for spending your 30 minutes with us. 